All right, welcome to the Bober Hanley Pro Football Podcast. He is Chris Bober, the former NFL offensive lineman. I'm Nick Hanley with AM590 ESPN Omaha as we are in conference championship weekend, which sounds crazy that we made it, no interruptions. And uh, Bober, I would say when you look at the course of the season, it's hard to argue that these are not four of the best teams or at least four of the top 10, even going into the year when we started looking at teams that had a shot to be in this position, that Tampa Bay was always in that conversation. Green Bay was in that conversation. Obviously, Kansas City being the defending champs and the Buffalo Bills. So, you know, if you want to call it chalk, maybe we could call it chalk. But I mean, you, you look at it. No real crazy shakeups as we kind of look uh, where the teams are staying. I get it. Tampa Bay is technically a wild card, but, um, you know, is is Tampa Bay a, a team that we would say, yeah, this is a big shock given the fact that they have Tom Brady and a lot of weapons on that team. So here we are with four pretty damn good teams. Well, it just goes to really show you that um, it isn't the best teams that you think of from a 17, 16 week standpoint, it really comes down to who is the best teams that make the playoffs that are playing the best football. And honestly, the anomaly here is the chiefs, the chiefs who really just continue to win. But, you know, I look at, I think they're one and nine against the spread in their last 10 games, but they're, they're the best team probably overall talent wise experience. They have uh, obviously the, the Super Bowl momentum, but I mean, you can't argue and say that green Bay isn't the best team in the NFC yeah. uh, Tampa Bay right there with Tom Brady and the talent they have. And then the new kid on the block Buffalo is there its place to be here. We'll see if they can hold up to it, but yeah, um, we made it. We're, we're getting closer and it looks like we're going to get this thing to a championship. So let's say if Tampa makes it, we'll get into the, the matchups here in a moment. But as far as the Tom Brady factor, look, he, he's already written his legacy, in my opinion. He's the greatest of all time. You got the, the rings to show for it. The fact that he has gotten into a new uniform and is back in a conference championship, I think just re-solidifies anybody's argument. But if he gets to another Super Bowl, win or lose, like, I, I get it. We kind of expect it from Tom Brady anymore, but my gosh, I mean, at what point do you just say, this is just absurd what this guy is able to do? Well, obviously this is his 14th conference championship game. And I saw a statistic that said, um, how many wins do you have against NFC teams? He only has two as an NFC quarterback. The other were from Super Bowls. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he continues to amaze everyone. I, 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 for one, just being of the same age and same literal rookie year together, didn't think he would hold up like he did, but he has, he looks awesome. He looks the best he's looked in years. Um, I, I told my wife, I said, why don't we move to Florida? Look how great he looks. He's, <laughs> and he's healthy. Um, we'll talk about that going into this game of that. will maybe play against them as far as the yeah. team goes, but Tom Brady, he, he has openly said that his greatest strength is his longevity right he has revolutionized how to take care of your body and it's paying off and quite honestly i don't see him stopping anytime soon until fate has it to where he, yeah. a major injury takes him out he's going to just keep on taking uh there was a quarterback announcement uh this week of a retirement not the guy that i thought it would be right away now i'm not surprised but it was philip rivers who has announced his retirement we're still kind of awaiting the word of Drew Brees uh, when he left the field and that loss to Tampa Bay. It did kind of seem body language wise that that might have been the last uh, run for Drew Brees, but we'll see. But Philip Rivers retiring. 
Uh, Chris, I, I know as someone who played for the Chiefs and had a lot of familiarity with the Chargers organization, what he meant to that organization in one year this year with the, the Indianapolis Colts. I put him in the the top 10 quarterbacks to never win a Super Bowl as far as their overall um, success in a guy that even not getting to a Super Bowl, playing a, a conference championship game with a torn ACL, a guy that seemed to be universally liked by all of his teammates too. Uh, just your thoughts on Philip Rivers and his career. Well, Philip Rivers needs to take uh, retire to take care of his nine kids. <laughs> the wife's probably had enough and said, get home. <laughs> Um, great, yeah, now great, you now you retire after they're all grown up. <laughs> yeah, you know, a great guy who um, I think is a great example. Honestly, he's he's a faith filled man, um, and he did it the right way. The hardest part about him is that he never, in sticking with the Chargers for so long, he never really had an organization that that made that final push to get them to a Super Bowl. And I, I don't know, think like you can hold that against him. I yeah. would honestly say he's one of the top two or three quarterbacks to never win a Super Bowl. Maybe not players, but two or three quarterbacks. Just a tremendous guy, always did did the right thing, um, won a lot of games. So I have a lot of respect for him. I do also have respect for the fact that he could potentially have played more football, but he um, he chose the greater good to go back and be with his family, and I think he'll enjoy that. Uh, so, I mean, hats off to him. Um, it definitely does open up a lot of conversation for what's going to happen in Indy with our quarterback. So we're in conference championship weekend and uh, stories uh, outside of the games itself uh, continue to kind of dominate the, the news cycle in football. And that is a Deshaun Watson. I, I I'm telling you, Chris, as we get, you know, one day closer to this weekend, it, it, when this whole thing started, I thought maybe 5% chance that Deshaun Watson would actually get traded. And now I'm kind of 50, 50. And it seems like the more you hear, and this kind of talks more about the, the Houston Texans organization and the leadership. And this is, I won't put Nick Casario in this. He was hired uh, just recently. So it's hard to lump him into this, but just the overall decision-making process. And this isn't just the handling of the Nick Casario hire and who they eventually uh, wind up with as a head coach, but this goes back, you know, many years. I mean, we talked about the Deandre Hopkins trade and that was you know part of Bill O'Brien, but just the, the ability to give Bill O'Brien all of that power, as opposed to getting a football operations or GM type of guy, this organization has kind of tripped all over itself. And it, it's hard for me to just grapple the fact that they could, part ways with what seems to be a slam dunk franchise quarterback and and you know it that is extremely difficult to find your franchise guy and just the communication in the process that seems to maybe have alienated Deshaun Watson I just don't understand how you make those type of of missteps and they might end up paying the, the ultimate price for this. Yeah, I think there, there's a big gap in leadership between the ownership and all the way down to the quarterback. Um, they just, I take Deshaun Watson literally almost over almost anyone in the league as far as a player to build a franchise around. So I, I think the reality is, I don't think that they lose him. I think that they probably will find a way. Um, I'm going to make a little bit of a prediction is that he is instrumental in the hiring of Eric Bieniemy. I think that they might even, if the Chiefs win this week, they might even try to make the, that announcement before the Super Bowl. Um, as, a, as a means to appease him or Eric Bannon is the guy that sticks out of my mind, or I think you have to bring Deshaun Watson in on this hiring of the head coach to, to help build that around. He's kind of put himself in that place. Um, you know, he signed a contract like four months ago 
right? It wasn't very long ago that yeah. he, I think it was like eight months, but whatever it was, you know, he signed a contract knowing that, that what Bill O'Brien was and what he was doing, knowing that there's going to be some change. I mean, you sign that kind of contract, you, you put yourself into be probably a bigger piece of the pie than, than the quarterback and, and GM. So if he can just feel like he's part of that, I think they keep him. Um, they have an uphill struggle because they gave up draft picks for players that aren't producing like top draft picks. Yeah. But they do have a chance with Deshaun Watson. I think maybe the creativity and leadership of a guy like Eric Bieniemy would appease him and and know that they have to go through a, a little bit of a struggle here, but maybe come out the other side. So I, that that's my dream scenario to see Bieniemy get a job like that and Deshaun Watson stay in Houston. I'm glad you bring up Bieniemy because that's where I wanted to get to before we get into last weekend's results and this weekend's conference championship games, and that is. The, the coaching hires that we've seen so far, and the most recent one was the Philadelphia Eagles yesterday announcing that Nick Sirianni will be the, the head coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, replacing Doug Peterson. Sirianni was the offensive coordinator for Frank Reich uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, one of the reasons people will point to that Eric Bieniemy hasn't maybe been given the same opportunities as other offensive-minded coaches is because he's not a play caller. Andy Reid obviously does the play calling, and maybe there is something that is still maybe kind of missing with that. Well, Nick Sirianni just proved that you do not have to be a play caller to get a head coaching gig because Frank Wright calls the plays for Indianapolis. I am so confused why Eric Bieniemy is still available. And as you pointed out, maybe he does get the Houston Texans job, I would have reservations about stepping into that job unless you are guaranteed that you have a happy Deshaun Watson because that organization at the very top has been one bad mistake after another. So, I mean, if, if you're Eric Bieniemy, are you wanting to be a head coach that bad that you will take on that job with that organization? Um, I'm sure there has to be assurance that you have uh, Deshaun Watson, but I, I just, the Eagles trying to figure out the quarterback situation. Right. They go with the guy that, was kind of a surprise. You know, I go all the way back to when Zach Taylor was hired for the Cincinnati Bengals. That was a guy that obviously in Nebraska, we knew who he was because he played quarterback for Nebraska. But as far as, you know, candidates, there is that, that wave of young offensive minded guys. And I, and I get it. That's the trend, but I feel like there are guys that you're almost kind of talking yourself into hiring and this is not to say that it won't work with these guys, but, you know, I think of the coaching tree, the Andy Reid coaching tree, Doug Peterson had that initial success at the Super Bowl, and then it, it didn't go very well. Uh, Matt Nagy, his first year at the Chicago Bears is the, the, uh, the NFL coach of the year. Uh, he's fighting for his job right now, too. Sean McVay gets the Rams to a Super Bowl, and, and I would say he's still showing some value there, but you're, you're seeing some mixed results with these, these offensive-minded guys. But having said that, one of the guys that seems to be so highly regarded and has so much experience with a successful offense is Eric Bieniemy. yet he is still not a head coach here for the last two years. Well, I, I think um, kind of two points I'd like to make about that is I think Bieniemy is just getting caught in like a success loop. And you saw this in the past where some of the best coaches are on the best teams and they don't get hired because they teams want to make their decisions before they're done coaching. And he said all the right things and hopefully there still is a chance for him. Um, I, I thought, I think the NFL was trying to get around that, trying to provide more um, interviews and stuff like that. It's just, I think they might've not hit the, hit the spot here. Um, that leads to my next point. I think that, you know, making a hire of a guy because he is an offensive, defensive, whatever kind of guy he is, 
as a coordinator. I think it's a recipe for disaster to try to make that guy the CEO of your multi-billion dollar corporation. I, I really do. Um, and that's why you're seeing these guys who get brought in as offensive or defensive gurus uh, fail so often because they're coordinators, right? To be a uh, head coach requires a, another level of skill that a lot of coordinators don't have. So, I mean, this Casario guy, I've never heard of him. You know, he, I, I, I knew who he was, but he didn't stand out as a guy that like, wow, I want to put the keys to my franchise with this guy. I, I, I believe in more like a B enemy, more, not for his offensive prowess, but for his leadership he shows and how he's yeah. a leader of men. Um, you saw my buddy, Dan Campbell, my lifting buddy, one of my great friends got the Lions job. He's never been a coordinator, but they, they know he's a leader, right? You can hire coordinators to call offenses and defenses, but the skills for a head coach go beyond that. Right. And even a guy like Andy Reid with all of his offensive prowess is known more. If you around him, he's known more for being a leader. He's known right. more for how he leads his team. And um, his success comes from his principles of, of leadership. And I, I think I just wonder when this paradigm is going to shift for general managers not being scouting guys, because that's a very focused in, in, in skill and not maybe the executive role that they need and skills they need. And when are they going to stop hiring coordinators as coaches? Right. It, it, but I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't hire coordinators, but hire them for their leadership, not for the yeah. fact that they can call plays. And right. I, I just, I, I feel like the Casario is just a, an appeasement for Carson Wentz. Right. But Siri, Siriani. Siriani. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, I guess how much I know of him really, because I haven't <laughs> heard of him. Um, you want a guy who's a leader and, and a guy who can deal with the adversity of, of a very stressful job, not a guy that's a great X's and O's guy. That, that's a great skill to have, but that's, that doesn't translate to leadership yeah. in my mind. Yeah, and you would know this way better than I would, but I mean, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. And look, I'm not trying to, and I'm glad you, you bring up Dan Campbell because I, <laughs> I got to get, I got to get into uh, his, his uh, press conference yesterday for a moment, but you know, I'm not trying to say, Hey, the Lions, this, you should be hiring Eric B or Hey Houston, you should be hiring or Philadelphia. You should be hiring Eric B I'm not trying to say what organizations should be doing because I don't know the inner workings. I don't know what they value. I just find it as a whole very surprising that a guy like Nick Sirianni, who wasn't on many people's radar, is all of a sudden a head coach. A guy like uh, Dan Campbell, who wasn't on many people's radar. He was an interim coach for the Miami Dolphins in 2015 when Joe Philbin got uh, fired. Wasn't on a lot of people's radar, but all of a sudden, there they are as a head coach. It, I, it makes me also wonder, and to be fair, it makes me wonder, is there something missing when you are going through the interview process with Eric Bieniemy? I listened to him talk. I don't see anything that would give me any kind of red flag of like, eh, I don't know if this guy seems all that confident in what he's trying to I just love present. Him. I love him. It does. It sounds like everybody loves him. So I just don't understand the, these, these coaches that we're not hearing much about all of a sudden they surface as a lead candidate and they end up getting a job where Eric Bieniemy seems like a slam dunk. It is not getting uh, the kind of opportunities that you would think. I don't know what the issue is. Uh, I do got to ask you about Dan Campbell because <laughs> I, I try to take away life lessons every day. And my life lesson yesterday was, Hey, you know what? Life always kicks us down, but as long as we can bite off somebody's kneecap every now and then on our way up, then Hey, uh, keep the fight. Right. I mean, is this dude just like, I mean, you know him really well. Is this just a is he just a wacky dude or what? He is. I'm telling you, he's intense, man. He's a, he is one of the coolest individuals I've ever met. He's just, imagine just like a big chiseled dude with long hair, big chalk, Copenhagen in, get, come in the weight room, blast a Metallica every morning. And that's what we did, man. We 
my best year ever um, came from working out with a guy like that. I mean, he's a faith-filled guy, the nicest guy you ever met. He helped us move into our first house, was over there. Wow. I've been on hunting trips with him. We spent time cr at Christmas together, New Year's, just a tremendous, tremendous guy. And I think his, his job is going to be to be the leader, right? I mean, you can hire in guys that know X's and O's, that know offense, that know defense. But I'd liken him to kind of a guy like a, like a John, uh, John Harbaugh. Right, a guy who who didn't lead a, I mean, he was especially the corner, but he wasn't an offense or defensive guy. But guys will run through the wall for this guy. I don't know if it'll translate to success because you're still the Detroit Lions. But I tell you what, there will not be an ounce of any anything left on the field after a game with with a guy like Dan. And I, you know, I hope he has great success. He's a tremendous individual. He, he's coached under Parcells. He's coached under Sean Payton. Um, great, great man. And. I wish him all the luck in the world. I told him, you need an O-line coach. Give me a holler. But um, I don't know. I don't want, I don't kind of want him to take me up on that. I mean, those guys work a lot of hours. Yeah. Could you, I mean, come on. You got houses to sell. All right. You know, houses know. To, to, to buy. Come on. I got linemen to train. I got stuff to do. I yeah. love locked in a dungeon for 80 hours a week, every, every week. And I see my, my family and kids. So that's going to be an interesting gig there because it does seem like Matthew Stafford is, you know, you know, sort of on the chopping block. Uh, will they give him another year? Will he be back for another year? So, I mean, that's definitely an organization that's in transition, but I feel like we can say that about Detroit. Right. He seems like, and, and again, you know this way better than I do, but just watching that press conference and knowing on his coaching nameplate, it also says the dude, uh, he's a polar opposite of Matt Patricia. And I was talking to Michael Rothstein who covers the lines for uh, ESPN NFL nation when Patricia got fired and just the interim role, you know, little things like bringing back the ping pong tables into the clubhouse, you know, allowing the, that organization and those players to have fun again, where they could, they could walk in there and feel like there is some freedom, feel like they are able to kind of be themselves. It just seemed like the regime under Matt Patricia and Matt Patricia's leadership was extremely, structured almost to a fault like the patriot way where hey when you come in you're robots you come here to work you know that's great if you're winning football games but when you're not winning football games and you're going into that type of environment i, I can i can understand how that would uh, grow very tiresome and that patriot way has only worked for one guy right um in the long term so and that's just because he wins a lot of football games and he had tom brady too so but yeah uh, good, good stuff. Let's talk about last week's game. I mean, we had the divisional round was pretty was, um, you know, I kind of predicted that, that it, there's a little bit of separation and the best teams will be the best teams. Um, Wildcard weekend was really close. A lot of ins and outs. Uh, a little little more boring this week, honestly. But um, yeah, I was three and one, though. I'll say that the, the one that I lost was Tampa Bay Saints. I, I thought the Saints had it. I liked their defense, but this is just another reminder, Tom, in a big game. Hard to bet yeah, against them. I think we saw the end of Drew Brees. I mean, you saw, you really, really saw. If we're going to jump on that one first, the, the limitations that Drew Brees had was very evident in that yeah. game. And I love Drew Brees. I got to be around him a little bit for some charity stuff. He, he's about the same age, came in a year after me. Great individual. Love the guy. But he just doesn't have it. He he, he was like behind the eight ball almost all of his career with his size um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But he made it work, and he was one of the, is one of the best ever. I, there, I just don't think there's any way he's effective. The worst part about that, I think he was the weak link on that team. Honestly, I think yep. he, him, he hurt them. And I think that that hurts him that he hurt him because um, they're going to have to go a different direction because his acumen for football is now being overshadowed by his physical limitations. Mm -hmm. 
But in that game, I tell you what, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers looked really good. They really did. They, they, that wasn't much. They they controlled that game, in all honesty. And it was it was not a blowout or anything, but they were in control of that game. Tom Brady is a gamer in big games. The weapons that they, they did give Tom Brady, the one thing that I, I think maybe goes a bit overlooked because you know you think of the Mike Evans you think of the Godwins you you know you, you think of now even having an Antonio Brown and even the running backs that he has too you know there's a good variety there the offensive line was always going to be the the big question mark going in and I remember in the first round you know they had made the splash I think it was maybe a week before the draft they made the splash of getting Tom Brady so everybody's excited and I remember some people saying okay that's great but the offensive line has been a sieve it didn't work for Jameis Winston, and Jameis Winston has more mobility than Tom Brady. So how are they going to protect him? Well, the very first uh, draft pick that they make in the first round was Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, who was a stud. So Thanks they good. did. That too. Yeah. So they did put the commitment into the offensive line and do whatever they could within what they had to work with the cap space in the draft to try to protect Tom Brady. And I think you saw that slowly but surely their second half of the season now into the postseason. Uh, you've seen better offensive line play. And if you can, again, if you can give Tom, Tom Brady time to process, as you know, you're in for a, a, a beating. Uh, you you are. And so that was always going to be the big question. So as much as we can talk about, and I think the Bucks defense is still, even with the, the numbers that they put up, is still somewhat underrated. I think the the weapons that Tom Brady obviously has is, is very good. I don't think we do give enough credit to this offensive line that doesn't have to be elite, but has to be good. And I think they're good. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that, that matchup. But, you know, over the weekend, it was funny. The one team that was predicted to win by double digits is the only team that, that didn't win by double digits, right? Yeah. The Chiefs, um, you know, they get the Cleveland, you know, that one, looking at it next, the Chiefs did everything. They were everything we thought they were. Um, they took a blow with Mahomes out. Great Henny, to have Henny come in and a lot of trust in him. Made a couple of big plays, even though he had a really, really bad interception. Um, but the difference in this game was just the experience, I think, of, the Chiefs defense making plays when they had to, when they Mayfield and that, that team had every, they really had a golden opportunity to beat the Chiefs. They did. Oh, the, the, the punch out at the goal line changed that game, in my opinion. It, it really did. I mean, it's a 10 point swing right there. Browns are getting ready to score right before halftime. And then that becomes a touchback. Kansas City turns that into three. If the Browns score right there and everything else plays out the way that it did with Mahomes going down, there is a, there's game. a there's a path for the Browns to win that football game, no question. It is, it is. But I think that that if you look at what Stefanowski's doing and how they built that team, that team should be back in that same position yeah. position next year. Um, same thing happened in my mind in with Buffalo, right? I thought Lamar going but honestly, Buffalo didn't look great, right? They played against a good team that stops their ball the run really well and runs the ball in Baltimore, and Baltimore showed their limitation of a their quarterback and, and lack of a playmaking receiver yeah. and the ability to win a, a tight playoff game. They couldn't do it, but Buffalo comes out and um, runs 22 plays in a row that are pass plays. Didn't even try to run the ball, which you think would make them one dimensional in a, in a wind game, you know, ball, Dustin, Justin Tucker's missing field goals and PATs. But the difference in this game, honestly, was that that 106 yard uh, interception pick six, yeah. right? That was a 14 point swing. Baltimore is ready to go in there and tie the game. And they turned it back, and that was that was the the straw that broke Lamar Jackson and and, the, and John Harbaugh's back. Just really, I thought that that game, but you know, going up into this matchup, Buffalo 
leveled off the last couple of games in my mind. Right. Yeah. And that, that Baltimore is a tough opponent, but you know, that was that, that game could have turned out differently too. And then of course we had the Packers, right. The Packers go in there and do what they do. Um, I was actually very impressed by um, without Aaron Donald being a factor of the Rams defense, they play tough. It's just, couldn't stop the Packers. Yeah. They, they really couldn't do it. I thought golf played well. I did I too. Thought, I thought he, I thought he was ripping the ball a lot better than he was the prior week or previous week. And I think that what, what LA is going to have to go do is probably look at say, okay, here's the deal. You know, golf is what he is. Right. And it's easy to sit there and say, look at Mahomes, look at Watson, look at Josh Allen and say, we want that guy, but they, those guys don't exist very often. So you have a very competent, highly skilled quarterback in Jared Goff go protect him, go build a running game around him. Um, make that a formula for success rather than asking him to do things he can't do. Cause he can't be, if he's not going to make big secondary plays, he, he really has to be protected and avoid turnovers. Um, Green Bay. Well, just and and then for them, it's the running game because they do such good stuff off the play action. That's McVay's offense too. Mm-hmm. And when they are able to rip off some yards, I would say if they're averaging about three and a half to four yards per carry, their play action game, I think is as good as you're going to see in the league. I mean, that that's what that offense is predicated. But if you are not getting any production whatsoever out of the run game, you know, acres being bottled up, then you got issues. And this is where I do say green Bay has made improvements on the defense that they can take certain things away from you. And even, and I totally agreed. I'm glad you brought up golf. I thought he was able to make a lot more uh, accurate throws. There was a lot more on the football than there was against Seattle so they did not lose the game because Jared Goff was ineffective. And that was my biggest concern, but you brought up the defense, Aaron Donald played, give him so much credit because you know, he was in pain, but he could not get off blocks the way that he typically can. And Leonard Floyd, who had been a, a just nightmare for the opposition also could not get the same kind of pass rush that he had been experiencing. So I give green Bay credit for neutralizing those guys. And then you just let Rogers do his thing. Yeah, and, and it's a great lead in here to to that first game. You know what I mean? We got uh, right now we got Green Bay favored by three and a half over Tampa, and it, it, it's so funny. We got the old quarterbacks going against each other, and then the yeah. young guys going against each other. Yeah. The other yeah. game, um, you know. So this, in my mind, when you get to this point, it comes down to matchups, and it's always about matchups when it comes to a football game. But these are even more prevalent because there, there's like a, such a microscope on these guys. Um, in my mind, the biggest factor is going to be going to Green Bay. Like, ultimately, we can talk about the matchup because I think I think these are they're good matchups here. Um, if you look at Tampa's offense versus Green Bay's defense, for example, um, Tampa, if they can stick to the run early, become multi-dimensional, and give Tom Brady the ability to not have people in his face then they're very effective. They really are. They, I, I think the, the enticing matchup for this part is going to be what Green Bay does with their defense. They love to be a nickel. They love to be a dime yeah. because they only have a couple linebackers. And I think Tampa's going to keep a couple tight ends on the field all the time because they're, they're banged up a receiver, right? Their top three receivers are questionable. And Antonio Brown, who knows, right? We got Mike Evans, who is banged up, just doesn't look like himself. And you, you even got Godwin who's hurt. So look for guys like um, Scotty Miller, Tyler yep. Johnson to be on the field. Gronk. But I, yeah, but I think they're going to put Braden and Gronk out there in two tight ends and use them. Here, here's the issue, though. When you do that and you eat up clock, try to stay ahead of the chains, move the ball, you got to score touchdowns. Yes. Because when Green Bay gets the ball, they're going to score touchdowns. 
and, and you just don't want to get too far behind because then, then you can't run that. You know what I mean? That, that's that's going to be a fascinating matchup, I think, on, on that side of it. Well, and, and I'll use, because as being a Chicago Bears fan, I th- there was something about the game plan that Chicago had in week 17 against Green Bay that I loved. And it was exactly what you said. You control the clock. You're able to keep your offense and the Green Bay offense, your, your offense on the field, Green Bay offense off the field, and Aaron Rodgers on the sideline. But when you would get in the red zone and Chicago struggled, all they could get was field goals. Mm-hmm. If you are not turning those into points and you're giving Aaron Rodgers the opportunity to when he does get the football, a lot of times he is going to finish his drives in the end zone. You have got to be able to do that because you can control time of possession all you want. But if all you're getting out of that uh, is field goals and threes, Green Bay is still going to be able to keep pace and eventually just overcome you and probably keep you at arm's length at some point in the second half. So, and I'm not trying to say, you know, Tampa Bay and Chicago are comparable, but just using that as an example where Chicago tried to do the same thing, control the clock, control the possessions, but the inability to get drives finishing in the end zone turned out to really hurt them. And that was a close game until the very end. And so I look at Tampa Bay, at least having the ability with a lot of weapons and just the overall football IQ that they have a quarterback to have the ability to once they're in the red zone, to finish those drives in the end zone. It's I, I agree with you. I, I think that that is crucial for Tampa Bay to win this football game because you know, green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, they're going to get theirs and that's nothing, no knock at all against the, the Tampa defense. I think that's going to be a legitimate challenge for Aaron Rodgers and for Devonte Adams, but this offense is too good that you're going to, you know, keep them to less than 14 points. Yeah. I think Mike Pettin, who, you know, we remember as the coach in Cleveland that didn't last very long. Uh, he's, he's, he's put together a pretty aggressive defense. And then what they love to do is they love to get five guys. Um, they're five rushers and they stand them up. Right. So let's yeah. take Dyer Smith. who's on the outside guy. They'll put him in the middle and they'll run games out of it. They'll drop in and out of it. And then of course they have one of the best Jair Alexander is one of the best cover corners in the league. They'll, they like to match him up, man, and then play zone ever everywhere else, right. you know, which, which the good thing is Brady's seen that, but can his receivers make adjustments to that? Right. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's an exotic coverage, exotic blitzes. Um, I think the the hedge against that is running the ball, right? So if you see um, Jones and Fournette getting some yardage early, that's going to be the great hedge against that. Now, on the other side of it, um, you just know that Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers are going to score, right? You know, you have Devontae Adams, who right now is the best receiver in the NFL. Um, I think they have great weapons behind him. I think an X factor in this game is is um, Aaron Jones, who catches the ball really well, and he can run the ball. So he, he, they put him out there and he can be just a receiver. We saw him do that to people um, in this game. I think the Tampa defense, if they want to be successful or, or at least hang in there, they have to get to Aaron Rodgers, Right. And, and they got guys up front to do it. Right. They do have great rushers um, because on the back end, Tampa struggles on the back end. Honestly, they're young. This that Jamal Dean got torched by the chiefs right he's their nickel corner if he's got to be in there a lot which they will because they'll play three four receivers if 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 aaron Rodgers gets any time at all he's going to kill him i mean and and here's here's the x factor in this game to me right if tampa can get to aaron Rodgers and, and maybe make him make a turnover or, or put him behind the sticks they give them a chance because then it takes pressure off their, their back end but i think the x factor in this game is the green bay packers know how to play in this environment and it's it's all about the cold it's all about the footing, right? These guys in Tampa, I know Tom Brady's going to be fine. He's going to have his little black hoodie on. He's going to go up there and he'll be, he'll be, he'll be slinging it. 
But I mean, can Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, these young rookies, what, what are they going to do in the cold? I mean, it's, it's something as, as small as just understanding how the footwork's going to be with a frozen below temp, below freezing temperature in the heater underneath that creates a, a different level of like kind of sponginess on, on the ground. And you know, you know, the Packers receivers know exactly how to get in and out of cuts, how to stay on their feet. Yeah. If you see these guys slipping and falling down in this game, if you see that ball hitting their hands and dropping it, Chris Godwin's got six drops in two games, right? I just think that everything points to green Bay having that factor um, the the home field advantage of, of playing in the cold, the footing, playing with a, a, a cold football, that all points to Green Bay owning that part of it. I think that's going to get them over the top, honestly. Now, TB12, don't count them out. But, yeah. gosh, I just, I just can't – I don't think I can count on those other skilled players and guys coming through. Well, I, I think the big difference from a week ago where I was really confident in the Saints winning that football game was because I like the Saints' defense in that matchup and – I also think that, and I'm with you, I, you know, full disclosure, I'm going with Green Bay in this one too. And you would say, well, you did it last week. You went against Tampa Bay and you were wrong. Well, here's the other difference. I think the Green Bay defense is improved. I think that they can make some stops when need be, but more than anything, the quarterback matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is playing at MVP caliber and no disrespect to Tom Brady, never any disrespect to Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers playing better football. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers played way better than Drew Brees this year. And he understands that the clock is ticking with his time in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I know we talk about it all the time. He's got a chip on his shoulder. This game is the one that I have a feeling he is going to go absolutely nuts in. And I'm glad you brought up Aaron Jones because I think he is a key in this one. Devontae Adams, I could see maybe having some challenges in this one because I think Tampa Bay can do only so much against this receiving core. But the thing that I've liked about green Bay and Aaron Rodgers' game this year is they've got those B receivers like Valdez Scanlane and Alan Lazard. Those are the two guys that even Tanya, the tight end, those are the guys that I think have huge games against Tampa Bay. It's going to be one of those three or even a couple of those guys. I mean, mm-hmm. Devonte, he might get hits just because he's that good, but it wouldn't shock me if Al Lazard is a big factor or if Alex Scant- Scantling is a, is a big factor in this one because Aaron Rodgers has that ability to just use the entire field better than anybody in the league right now. So, yeah, when it comes down to it, I hear you on the weather part of it. I just think the matchup from offense to defense on both sides, something about the way Aaron Rodgers is playing and the fact that Green Bay actually has a capable defense, I think they win and they cover. Yeah, I, I think that too. I think the number at three and the number's three and a half right now, which I think they're putting out there to get some money coming in on Tampa. Yeah. But which it sounds like a good number, but I I really think Green Bay wins by a touchdown. I mean, I think they I do. Too. I just don't think I don't think that Tampa could pull this off. In all honesty, in hundred percent full disclosure, if this game was not in Green Bay, I would not pick I would pick Tampa to win at home. I think this home field advantage is too good to be true. Or not too good to be too good to overcome. You know, I just, man, I just don't think that they can go pull this off. I, just, I really don't. I really don't. So now, now we, so I would, I would take that. I would take the points too. I mean, I it's too. a tough line to take three and a half is a sucker bad, they say, but I still think, I still think Green Bay is, yeah. is, is, the, is the play here. Chiefs bills. And I'm just looking right now at the, um, the football power index, just what the numbers have. And it's got Kansas city is a 58.3% favorite to win to 41.7 for Buffalo this game, obviously the first 
headline that everybody is fixated on, which I think is a non-factor, is Patrick Mahomes, his health. He's going to play. I say non-factor because I don't think there's any there, there's anything that's holding him back. It, it most likely wasn't even a concussion. It sounded like it was kind of like a almost like a chokehold as he came down, and that force is what kind of kept him a little bit wobbly. But hey, he goes through the protocol. That's great. That's why they have it, protecting the players. But I don't see any way, and it sounds like everything that we've heard of the practice reports, he has been, for the most part, a full participant, hasn't had any setbacks. I fully expect him to play. So we get Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, and there has been a time during the season that you could make an argument for both of these guys that they've played at an MVP level. I am so happy that this is the late game. Nothing against the Packers and the Bucks, but I just think this game has a chance to be special. I think when you look at the history of Buffalo and their misses in the Super Bowl, knowing that they're trying to get back this new era of Buffalo Bills football, they're trying to get back there. The Chiefs are trying to get back and repeat first team to host the AFC championship three consecutive years in the modern day of uh, the NFL, which is, is amazing when you think about this organization and where they have come. There are so many great things about this matchup. I hope and I think it will. I think it will play up to the hype. I really do. I do as well. And, you know, both of these teams are not really playing their best football right now, honestly. Yeah. Um, Chiefs keep on winning. Buffalo keeps on winning. But they're Buffalo, in my mind, did not look – I have major concerns about just the, the decision-making to not even try to run the football. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't get it. Um, we'll see how that plays out, right? Because I think that's a factor in this game where they lost their running back, and that, that hurts them. Um, and then you have Mahomes and you have just, there's a doubt there. There really is. And, and, and Mahomes has fallen into some bad habits. He's so good that he's gotten away with them. And I think they kind of compiled yeah, themselves. I would, point. I would say he's in a similar place in this championship game. And he was two years ago. Right. And, and gosh, can you get it out of him in this game? Or are you going to get it from him in this game? Right. Because is he is he going to be the guy that continues to backpedal and, and run into his his um, his rushers? Or is he going to be the guy that that sets his feet and makes a good throw? You know what I mean? Josh Allen, th th this game is a is two teams that are carbon copies of each other. They're almost exactly yeah. the same. They really are. They're built the same. They they strategically have a little bit of difference. But, you know, in the matchups in Kansas City's offense, they're easily the most explosive offense in the league. And what they're going to do is they're going to run layers concepts, right? They love to make defenses choose how to defend them and then play off of the strength wherever they, they try to, to take you out. Right. So, so B Buffalo with Leslie Frazier, they loved it. They, they're like Kansas city. They like to dial up blitzes from odd areas, but you got to be super careful because those receivers break free. What, what Kansas City has been doing is they've been running a three-by-one set with, with three receivers on one side and the tight end on the other side, Travis Kelsey. And they put Tyreek Hill in the inside slot on a slot corner or a linebacker, and it's a complete mismatch. Mm -hmm. So if you jump on him and take that away, all of a sudden Travis Kelsey's in there. Or if they try to run deep and you, you bracket Hill, well, then Kel Kelsey's the best inside tight end in the league, maybe the best ever. I mean, he leads the league in, in receiving yards the last three years if you combine them. And they're just so explosive. Now, the question on Kansas City is how are they going to match up and protect Mahomes? Because their offensive line is in flux, right? Mitchell Schwartz going out is a big deal. They're, they move around a little bit. Mahomes has not helped them quite honestly. But can they? Can the Chiefs make big plays if they need to, or can they get, get going? They get a little behind the sticks too much, right? They take chances on first downs. They run – they get a little gimmicky for my, my – 
my mind. I think they got to come out, run the ball. Williams did good last week. Uh, you know, Chiefs can score. They will score. But are you going to be efficient? Can you score in the red zone? The Chiefs have not been great in the red zone. Yeah. Um, th- so there's some question marks there. And, and Buffalo's defense, the thing that their strength is, there's their back end. Right? They got great players on the back end. They mix and match. But they haven't been a great pass rush team. So strength on strength here. Weakness on weakness when it comes to, to that matchup. So I, I just see this as as the Chiefs getting theirs, but can they be can they get the touchdowns, not field goals? Because I think Buffalo right behind it on the other side is going to do the exact same thing to the Chiefs defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really do. Josh Allen, in my mind, is playing better than Mahomes is right now. He really is. He's, he's amazing. Um, Stefan Diggs, you know, you I want to put him right there with Devontae Adams, maybe not as tough physically, but definitely productive. The guy you want to watch out for in this game, in my mind, is Cole Beasley. Now, he yep. did not have a single catch last week. But if he can move the chains on third down for them, that's going to start wearing down that defense. And then all of a sudden, big plays come. I think the matchup here on this side is the Chiefs' pass rush. Can they get there without having to blitz? Now, Chris Jones and Frank Clark are two really, really highly paid guys. But they have not really played that well lately. Can, they need to show up like they did in the playoffs last year. If they can contain Josh Allen, I think you can force him into making mistakes. I really can. But if you let him out of the pocket, if you let him get some some momentum going, the dude's gonna he's gonna burn you. So in this game, I think it's gonna come down to who takes the advantage of the opportunities they have because both offenses are gonna score points here. The, I think the difference in this game is gonna be a turnover or the turnover margin, right? Can, can who makes the big play to get the turnover when? They need it. And that's going to be, it's going to be like a, in my mind, like a, like a 42 to 38 game and a turnover somewhere in there is going to decide this game. I go back to the last time these two teams played. And this is where I look at for the chiefs offense. I I don't have a lot of reservations with what they're doing. I, I think you bring up a good point about Mahomes and maybe some habits that he's got away from. Um, or at least got away with and, and now getting away from maybe some more technically sound stuff. But I mean, that's kind of what he is. And it's, it's kind of what makes him special is he can, he can get by. Um, the, the Clyde Edwards Alaire uh, situation is something to keep an eye on too. his health because of how effective he was in that previous matchup when these two teams played earlier in the year. Uh, he was a huge factor. Uh, Mahomes was efficient in that game. I think he was something like 22 of 28 or something of that. It, very efficient. And Josh Allen, you know, to counter that, wasn't all that great. And they were able to neutralize Josh Allen in this offense. But I, I think, again, when we kind of talked about what teams will try to do against Green Bay and control the clock, that's where I kind of see Kansas City not necessarily known as a team that does that, but in the game against Buffalo – that running element in Clyde Edwards-Alaire and having some big plays there, that was a big part of it. And so I think that's what Kansas City can definitely do offensively. And, and so I'll, I'll be curious to see how healthy uh, Alaire is, if he's a factor at all in this game, if that running game, more than anything, is a factor for Kansas City. Because if it is, obviously that makes Patrick Mahomes even that much more dangerous. I'm with you, though. I, I Josh Allen, this is, for me, the guy that I am most fascinated in watching on Sunday because, and that sounds crazy. Patrick Mahomes is just amazing, 
But Josh Allen has given you so much this year. I never thought we'd ever be discussing him as an MVP candidate uh, when he first went to Buffalo. Yet here we are looking at this guy and the way that he is playing and now playing in the biggest game of his career and still a very young career. How does he handle this? How does he handle? I mean, it's not the same kind of crowd that you're going to get at Arrowhead in a non-pandemic setting, but you know, there's still going to be those nerves knowing that you are four quarters away from getting this franchise back to the Super Bowl, where it's been the house of horrors for them uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl. Knowing that you're four quarters away from doing that, and there is a lot of people that think that you could be the reason that they get back. How does he handle that? So for me, it's just the mental part of this stage. What we've seen from Josh Allen throughout the year uh, gives me a lot of confidence that he can handle it. But you know this uh, much better than I would. You get to this game compared to, say, a week 14 game or a week seven game. It's just different. And when you are a younger guy and this is your first time on this stage, there, there's a lot going on there. So I, I am really curious. Is this the validation game for Josh Allen on how we talk about him for years to come? And I, and I think this is the game. This this is the game of the year right here. Um, I would say in this game, I think two, one of two things happens. I think either actually Buffalo comes out and gets a lead and just hammers it down Kansas City's throat and, and all the things that have been hurting Kansas City, instead of them getting over it, they actually implode. Hmm. Or it's a close game and the Chiefs pulled off at the end, right? Yeah. I don't see – I just see the momentum that they have. I think the Chiefs are fragile. I'm not saying that they're going to lose. I think that there's a possibility that all the, all the bad things that have been happened to them kind of culminate. Yeah, because yeah. They, they they have been kind of just getting by, but they are the more talented team. They're the better team, right? But they have to execute better to beat this team. If it, this game is close, I think the Chiefs win. I think the Chiefs win, and then they have a go face a tough, tough Green Bay team in the Super Bowl. It's a three point uh, spread. I, I I'll, I'll go and say this now. It's going against what I I said going into the playoffs, where I thought if I had a power rankings, I would list Buffalo just slightly ahead of Kansas City. Uh, here they are playing for the, the conference championship and a, and a chance to get to the Super Bowl. I am going to take Kansas City in the points in this one. I, I think that this comes down to me for a team that has been here now two years, now going on three years this Sunday. And a lot of those guys have all experienced this compared to a team that is a very good team led by a quarterback that is a playmaker, but hasn't been. So I'm going to over, oversimplify it in my mind and say, I'm with you. Kansas City's a better team. They do have flaws. They've, they've played um, some uninspired football down the stretch. Uh, Buffalo as well. I'll take Kansas City because they've been here. And I think the three points, give me Kansas City winning this thing by, you know, anywhere between four to ten points. Yeah, I, th- I think it comes down to both these teams kind of a showdown. And then at the end of it, the Chiefs defense makes a play, honestly, because yeah. that's going to be the difference. You see that you got to coordinator in Spagnuolo that has been to the Super Bowl several times and won it with his pressure packages and you have a guy I think I think it ends with the either a Matthew or a Sorensen interception as the as the Bills are trying to drive something like that um and the defense comes through or you maybe get a sack because Josh Allen can will turn the ball over he will yeah. if you pressure he will turn the ball over so that's where I think it ends up. And I think we're looking at the, uh, the Chiefs Packers rematch of Super Bowl one. I will tell you this. I will be more surprised if Tampa wins than I would be if Buffalo wins. 
Yeah, I think I think if Buffalo if Buffalo Buffalo could come out and control this game, that's yeah. the only way they the only way they do it is if they complete they get Mahomes hurt or um, they just jump on him and get another pick six and, and the Chiefs just like can't catch up. They could win this game, but they'd have to kind of blow them out to win the game. If it's close, I don't think Kansas City loses. That's just my point. So. It's going to be fun. Uh, looking forward to it again. I, I would say you can make an argument for best teams remaining between Tampa Bay, Green Bay and Buffalo and Kansas City. It's all on Sunday. We look forward to talking about the Super Bowl the next time that we visit with everyone. Uh, going to be going to be an enjoyable Sunday for sure. All right, man, let's get let's get after it. We'll see you next week and see if we um, see if we know what we're talking about. See, yeah. see if we got the winners. Sounds good, buddy. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. It's not a game, it's a rich thing.